lady, uh, let's, I know her name, but let's call her Jane, right? And I knew that she was related somehow to this other guy, let's call him Bob, um, but I didn't know how Jane and Bob were related, like I didn't know if they were brother and sister, husband and wife, um, or, you know, they own a tire business together, I'm not too sure, but anyway, like I was trying, I didn't know how Bob and Jane were related, and so I was talking to Jane, she's a lovely woman, and as a topic of conversation, I wanted to say to her, her how lovely this person was that she's related to, didn't know how they're related, thought I'd take a stab in the dark, I was like, Jane, I'm a really huge fan of your husband, Bob, so she said, Joel, Bob is my son, <laughs> you know that like next like minute or two where you're like trying to like act like you got it all together and you're really dying on the inside, that's what was happening to me. Um, uh, most Sunday nights, I'll, I'll go home, talk to my wife, and I'll share with her a few awkward conversations. She'll have a good laugh, and, and I will like do this shiver where I'm like, oh, almost like sideshow Bob off The Simpsons. And it's not because I, I'm evil and I hate you guys, it's because I love you guys and I'm really awkward. So my apologies. Um, have you ever had an awkward conversation because something you have said? Maybe right now is an awkward conversation for you because of what Eric just read out to us in the Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. Because in this part of the Bible, it's pretty controversial, and if we're honest, it can create a bit of an awkward moment. And so maybe if you've never come across this, Bible, this part in the Bible before and you're feeling a bit awkward, a bit tense, I just want to acknowledge that's normal. Uh, you're probably not alone. You know, at the same time, tonight, we're going to go through this passage and we're going to try and understand this simple question. The simple question I want you to think about is this. Why does Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, why does Paul say these things? Why does Paul say these things? Okay, I want, to keep, I want you to keep that big question in your head. Tonight, we're just going to go through this passage and at the end, I'm going to ask that question and I'm going to answer it for us. Okay, so that's the plan. But before we do, what I just want to say is, uh, first thing I want to say, this is a bit controversial tonight. I'm, I don't want to deny that. And so I don't want you to disengage. If you've been offended or you're not too sure what it's saying here, please join, like, come on the journey with us and understand what the Bible is teaching. And if you've got questions, please text them in. My phone number's up on the screen. I'll do my best to answer some after the sermon. But if not, please chat to me afterwards. I'd love us to go through. If you're still uh, unsure or not too sure what I've said, please come have a chat to me. This is a tricky part of the Bible, and so it's important that we, as uh, a church, love one another and talk through it. Saying all that, before I dig into it, I'm going to pray. And so I'd love it if you'd pray with me. If you're unsure what prayer is, it's just a time when we talk to God. And I say amen at the end if you agree with me. So how about I pray? Father God, we want to thank you so much for the gift of your word. We want to thank you so much that it is uh, true, not because it's relevant, but it's relevant because it's true. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much that you spoke to us through your word. uh, And it's still relevant to us today uh, because it is the truth. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you may illuminate it to us tonight. Uh, Lord, that you may help us to sit under your word and to learn more about you, more about your son Jesus and how we can follow him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in a second, I'm going to read out to us verse 8. Like I said, I'm just going to go through this passage. But before I do, I've got to remind you of the context of this passage, okay? I've got to remind you of the context that's really important. Okay, so Eric gave us a brief one, but just to remind you, so this um, book was written by Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy, who was a pastor at the church of Ephesus. Don't forget that. It's primarily a letter written to Timothy, but it's written with the intentions of Timothy's church reading the letter as well. Okay, So sometimes in the letter, he's going to be more direct to Timothy, and sometimes he's going to be a bit more general in regards to the church. Okay, So in 1 Timothy 1, in that first chapter, he was pretty specific to Tim. 
But in chapter 2 onwards, for a little bit, he's going to be more talking broadly to the church, okay? And so these are instructions to the church. They're instructions to Christians, people who say they follow Jesus and love him. That's the first thing you've got to keep in mind. The second thing you've got to keep in mind is what we learned last week, okay? So last week, we learned that God loves everyone, desires everyone to be saved, that we should pray for everyone, and that Jesus died as a ransom for everyone, okay? So remember the gospel, remember how we're saved through faith in Christ. With all that in mind, Paul now gets really specific, really practical, really controversial with some instructions to the Christians and the church. With all that in mind, let's look at it and let's look at verse 8. So let me read this to us. He says this, Apostle Paul, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Let's stop there. Uh, we're going to go through each verse and how I'm going to teach this is I'm going to teach you what the verse doesn't say and then I'm going to teach you what the verse does say, okay? So with this verse, what doesn't it say? What doesn't it mean? Well, the thing I want to make clear here is Paul is not saying here that he only wants men to pray, okay? I know he's focusing on the men here, but he's not saying women should not pray. No, no, no. We know in 1 Corinthians 11 that women are also to pray in church. So that's what it doesn't say. Now let's look what does it say. What does it say? And so, how would you explain this verse? Well, I want to explain this verse quite simply that I think God wants men to have holy hands that pray rather than unholy hands that sin. God wants men to have holy hands that pray rather than unholy hands that sin. I've been married to my wife, Emma, now for close to seven years, about six and a half years. And I remember when we were dating, and when we were dating uh, like you do, you ask each other dumb questions. And I remember um, Emma asking me this question. She said, Joel, what do you think is your greatest physical asset? Now, I know somebody's like, Joel, we've got so many to pick from. I'm like, thank you. Um, or maybe you think the opposite. I'm like, come on, man, that hurts. Anyway, what, um, what did I say? Well, I said my hands. I said my hands. You see, like, I love my hands. Like, not that I think that they're pretty or anything, but, like, I use them for so many things. Like, I use them to play basketball. I use them to hug my sons. You know, like, I use them to type on the computer, to do my work, to play Xbox, you know, to, like, use my phone. Like, I love my hands. Hands are really important to all of us, but I think in, in particular for men as well. I'm being generalist here, so please show mercy on me. A lot of men, more so than women, will do work that, you know, uses their hands. I don't know, a mechanic or, or carpenter. Let me give you an example. So uh, Tim Mitchell, I think he's here tonight. He's, no, he's right there. He is here. Yeah. Uh, he's someone for his job. He uses his hands. Shake his hand afterwards. They're huge, unlike my pretty little things, right? He's got big hands, okay? And recently he cut his thumb and I was praying for him that it wouldn't be something too serious. Why? Because if he was to have a serious injury, it would affect his work, his income. You know, for men, our hands are important, they're important. And what this passage is saying here is that God desires men to have holy hands that pray rather than unholy hands that sin. You see, let me tell you about the context in Ephesus, give you a quick reminder. In the church of Ephesus, the men were arguing with one another. They're having quarrels. They're yelling at one another. They're using their hands to fight one another, not to love one another and care for one another. They're using their hands for evil rather than for good. And if we're honest, men, there's a temptation for us to do the same thing. To use our hands for unholy things rather than holy things. To use our hands to argue. If we're honest, men, we're tempted and we enjoy arguing. Right now, if you're like, no, Joel, that's not true. I don't like to argue. Yes, you do. <laughs> you're arguing with my point right now. You know, as men, like, we can find it hard to say the words, I'm sorry, or you were right, I was wrong. 
And so we're tempted to be like these men in Ephesus. And as Paul said to these men in Ephesus, he basically said, cut it out. Stop using your hands for unholy things and use your hands for holy things instead. He says, use your hands to pray. And so men, like this is going to be weird, but deal with it. I want you to get your hands out, okay? I want you to look at your hands or look at one hand, okay? You got two, so just look at one if that's the case. I want you to think about this. As you leave this room and you go home this week, use your hands for holy things rather than unholy things. As you're driving, as, as you get your wallet out of your, out of your pocket, as you use your phone, as you use your computer, as you are talking to people, use your hands to be holy, not to be unholy, to pray. I think that's the first main point that Paul has here. But there's a second sub-point here that I just want to quickly address. And the sub-point, I think, is this is that outward expression of our inward affection is not a bad thing. Let me repeat that. Outward expression of your inward affection is not a bad thing. You're probably like, Joel, what are you talking about? I'm talking about when it comes to praying, when it comes to praising God and your relationship with God in general. Throughout the Bible, what happens is when people meet God, um, what's the most important thing is their hearts, whether or not they love God with their hearts. But also what you see is if people have a, really do love God, out of the overflow of their love in, the God, in their heart, they show it with their actions. So you see David, for example, as the ark enters the temple, he's literally dancing with joy. You see as Isaiah falls on his face before a holy God, you see throughout the Bible, people worshipping God with their hands up high or they're praying on their knees or they're beating their chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What you see is outward expression of inward affection is a good thing. And yet at the same time, though, Jesus comes along and Jesus points out an important truth. And he says, don't be a hypocrite. He says, remember those Pharisees, they look like they love God on the outside, but on the inside, they're far from God. And so Jesus says, don't pray like the Pharisees, don't give like the Pharisees, don't fast like the Pharisees, don't be a hypocrite. You know, Jesus basically says to us today, if you're someone that before church, you're maybe yelling at your wife or yelling at your housemates and then, or your kids, and then you walk into church, you've got a big smile on your face and people are like, how's your day? And you're like, yeah, it's brilliant. And then you go back home and you do the same thing. Jesus would say, you're a hypocrite. And you need to repent. And so I think we need to take Jesus' teaching seriously. Yet at the same time, I think we can go so far to think that outward expression is a bad thing, something we shouldn't do with our love or affection for God. And yet you come across this verse, and the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now, my Greek's not amazing, but I looked it up this week, and you know what it says? It says exactly that. I want you to lift up your hands without anger or disputing. A sub-point here is that outward expression of inward devotion is not a bad thing. Um, there's a guy called John Calvin. Uh, he's been incredibly influential to me, my, my view of the Bible and God, and also our churches. And there's a quote I want to read to you from him, not because his authority is greater than the Bible's, but just because I think it's helpful for us to think through this uh, topic that's my piece of paper. Let me read it out to you. Calvin says this. He says, The inward attitude certainly holds first place in prayer. But outward signs, kneeling, uncovering the head, lifting up the hands, having a two, have a twofold use. The first is that we may employ all our members for the glory and worship of God. Secondly, that we are, so to speak, jolted out of our laziness by this help. There is also a third use in solemn and public prayer, 
Because in this way, the sons of God profess their piety and they inflame each other with reverence of God. But just as the lifting up of the hands is a symbol of confidence and longing, so in order to show our humility, we fall on our knees. Subpoint here, the main point is that God wants men to have holy hands rather than unholy hands. Subpoint is that outward affection, outward sorry, expression of your inward affection is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. And so men, this week, let's think that through. We're going to use our hands for holy things or unholy things. Let's now move on. Let's get to the women. This should be fun. Uh, verse 9 to 10. Apostle Paul says this, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. All right, let's stop there. What is this verse not saying? What's the Apostle Paul not saying? Is that women, you should not care about your clothes and that women, you should just come to church with a bed sheet with a few holes in it. Okay? He's not saying that. How do I know that? Well, because throughout the Bible, we see in Proverbs 31 that the, uh, the woman there is dressed in purple clothes. And, and in Corinthians, it talks about that the hair of a woman is her glory. The Bible is not against physical things or, or beauty. It's actually it's the exact opposite. It's focused on the spiritual, but the physical is not bad. All right, keep that in mind. That's not what it's not saying. Okay, clothes are not important. What is it saying? What is it saying? Well, the Apostle Paul is saying here that women who profess to love Jesus are to dress appropriately for women who love Jesus. Let me repeat that. Women who love Jesus are to dress in appropriate way for women who love Jesus. Now you're probably like, Joel, what does that look like? Well, Apostle Paul says here, with modesty, with decency and propriety. Now let me explain to you the context in Ephesians in regards to women here. You see, back at this time in this church, there was women who were coming to church and they were coming with the main motive of trying to look better than other people. The women were coming in incredibly expensive clothes, elaborate hairstyles, like they literally had gold in their hair. Like this is an expensive haircut. And they're coming because they want the women to look at them and go, whoa, doesn't she look expensive? And they're also coming so the men will go, whoa, doesn't she look attractive? They were coming so that people will look at them and go, whoa, they're incredibly worthy and I'm incredibly unworthy. They were coming so that the men wouldn't look at their wives, but instead would look at these women. They were coming to distract people at church instead of coming to help people love Jesus. Now, it begs the question, like, I know some of you maybe are thinking, All right, but Joel, what exactly does this look like for us today? You know, in terms of modesty and decency, like, how are we supposed to dress? Like, you know, can I wear my Levi jeans? Can I not? Like, what's the dress code here at church? So I'm clear, uh, if you want wisdom on this and if you're a Christian woman, talk to another Christian woman who can help you try and think through practically what is appropriate gear for you to wear. I am not going to put up signs on our welcome board saying, I don't know, no short shorts. Or I'm not going to do that, okay? That's not going to happen. But it begs the question, I think, don't get so practical straight away, but think through why is the Apostle Paul saying this? Like, what's the point he's trying to make? Well, I think what he's trying to make us think about is that um, what you wear shows what you think. What you wear shows what you think. Like, ladies, like, I'm being generalistic here, please show mercy. Um, as a generalization, I think women think about what they wear more than most men, okay? So I think a lot of you women here, there's been some time in your life when you've caught up a friend, you've caught up your sister, your mom, and said, what, what should I wear to this function? Or what should I wear to this event? I'm guessing you've done that, right? Now, 
confession, I've done that myself, but only like a few times, all right? Like for my wedding and maybe for like my best mate's wedding. Like that is not something, that's not a regular conversation for me, okay? So whenever I have like an elders meeting with like Steve Shaw, who's playing on bass, who's an elder, or John Vidler, or Mark Roberts, who's not here, or Rod, I, I don't call up Mark before and say, hey, Marky boy, you know, what should I wear tonight? Like, I don't do that. And if I did, our elders' meetings would be about church discipline, and I would be the subject of that <laughs> meeting. Now, what, what's my point here? The point I'm trying to say here is what you wear shows what you think. And so what's going on here is these women are dressing in really expensive, elaborate clothes because they want people to think that they're worthy, that they're expensive. They're, they're dressing in such a way to gain attention from other men because they're desiring affection and because they're insecure. And they don't love or know their good dad. And so that's something for us to keep in mind, that what you wear shows what you think. And in regards to what you should wear, it's relevant to culture 100%. Like women back then and their hairstyles with gold in it would be distracting and would show wealth. In our day, maybe it won't, I'm not too sure. But it is very much relevant to culture. And so that's something you've got to keep in mind. That's why you need wisdom to talk to someone else about it who's a female who loves Jesus uh, another quick sub-point here, though, or not a sub-point, another big point here is Paul says, okay, clothes are important, make sure you wear what's appropriate. But secondly, he says, care about doing good more than looking good. Care about doing good more than looking good. As he says here, adorn yourself, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And so, ladies, every week you come to church, I want you to think through, are you thinking just as much about how you're going to look as to how much you're going to love? And how can you love people while you're at church? While you're at church. And finally, before we move on here, um, men, this applies to us too. If some of you guys are like, yes, tell those women what to wear. But we, us guys, we can wear what we want. Okay, next week I'm going to wear, I don't know, like short shorts or, or speedos. No, no, I'll put signs up for that. Okay, no, no. Okay, it applies to us too. What we wear shows what we think. Let's, let's dress in a way that is appropriate and loving towards our brothers and sisters. Anyway, let's move on. Verse 11, Paul goes on. He says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Um, let's stop there before we get to verse 12. It's important that we understand that verse 11, that this verse was pretty controversial to the culture in its day 2,000 years ago. You see, back then, women didn't learn. Women didn't study. Women didn't have a copy of their Bible to go through and understand. And yet Paul says here, A woman should learn. And in the Greek, I know this is a bit nerdy, but the verb here is an imperative. And basically, when you see an imperative verb, you just should put an exclamation mark next to it. And so a better translation maybe, or one that's maybe more helpful would be, a woman must learn. You know, Paul's being emphatic here, saying, women, this is important. I want you to study. I want you to grow. I want you to dig into the Word. I know that the culture says, don't study. You're not smart enough. No, he's saying, yes, do study. And maybe you're thinking, well, but what about this quietness and in full submission? Well, I think that's how you study. You study by sitting under the Word of God in quietness. As you, like, I know we live in this culture and we study through dialogue and different things. But yeah, but most of the time as you read the Bible, you're there in quietness as you study it. And in regards to submission, that's you saying, all right, God, I want to submit to your Word. And I will submit to the, the, the pastors at church as they teach it to me. A woman should learn. Never forget that. And so with that in mind, women, can I ask you, if you follow Jesus, how are you going at studying? Are you studying God's Word? Are you studying theology? Are you reading Christian books? Because can I encourage you that the men of this church, we need you. We want you to study. We want you to know your Bibles and know them well. 
at home groups, we want you to say to us, yeah, this is what I think it's saying. We want you to keep us sharp. We want you to know the Word of God. That's why we have a daily reading guide to be a help for, for men and women. Get it, study it, learn it. Be ferocious in your study of the Word of God. Let's move on to verse 12, though, a bit more controversial. Apostle Paul says this, I do not permit a woman, a woman, sorry, to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. She must be quiet. Let me tell you what this verse is not saying, then what this verse is saying. So what this verse is not saying. What I don't think this verse is saying is that a woman should be completely quiet in church the whole time or a woman can never teach. I don't think it's saying that. How do I know that? Well, because the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, like I mentioned before, that a woman would pray and prophesy in church. And so a woman is not to be silent completely in church. And in regards to that she may never teach, well, elsewhere in Colossians, it says that we should teach one another as we sing songs to one another as well. And it talks about in Titus, which um, the Apostle Paul wrote two, chapters, uh, two books later, that um, women should teach other women and teach children. And so I don't think that women should never teach, uh, nor that they should never speak at church. I don't think that's what it's saying. But then what is it saying? What is it saying? Well, let me explain to you what I think it is saying. I think what verse 12 is telling us is that there's some form in which a woman should not and can't uh, teach or have authority in the church. There's some form of which a woman cannot teach and have authority in the church. Now, I'm guessing there's a lot of questions right now, but I'm guessing there's maybe two really obvious questions. First one is why? Why not? And the second question is what is this restriction? What is this restriction? Why and what? In regards to the why, I'll get to that in a second because verse 13 to 14 unpacks the why. But in regards to the what, like what is this restriction? Let me try and explain it to you now. And so what is the restriction? Okay, well, I believe that, and our church believes, after prayer and sitting under God's word and trying to understand it, that what this passage teaches us is that um, the restriction upon a woman is that she cannot be an elder in the church and that she cannot be the preacher in the church. She cannot be an elder in the church and she cannot preach in the church. And let me, ex- let me explain this to you. We're going to have to jump out a little bit out of our passage here, though. So let me explain this to you. In 1 Timothy 3, the next chapter that follows on from this verse it talks about qualifications for elders and qualifications for deacons. In regards to the elders, it has, we're going to go through this in a few weeks' time, but it has three, basically, qualities that they need to have. They need to have. Uh, the first one is there to be a man. The second one is there to be godly. And the third one is they have to have the ability to teach. The ability to teach. It then talks about deacons. In regards to the deacons, it just says that they need to be godly. They can be man or female doesn't mention anything about teaching. So it makes us go, okay, why do the elders need to be men and why do they need to know how to teach? If you then look at 1 Timothy 4.13, this is a time when the Apostle Paul, once again, he's not speaking directly to the church, he's more speaking to Timothy. He says this, Apostle Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself, that's Timothy, to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching, do not neglect your gift, which has been given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. What you see here, as well as in 2 Timothy, is that whenever it talks about, Apostle Paul talking about preaching, he's being direct to Timothy. Timothy, who's the pastor, who's a man, who's a godly man. He's not saying, hey, to the whole church, devote yourself to preaching. He's saying to this elder, to Timothy specifically. 
The final verse that I just want to read out to you is 1 Timothy 5.17. It says this, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now, in this verse, what it's saying is that there's elders in a church and that every elder is to be involved with governing the church. But then there's some elders who teach and preach, and that's their work. I'll give you an example. In our church, we have elders such as Steve and John and John Vidler, and they help us to govern the church alongside myself, Rod and Mark. But myself, Rod and Mark are also these um, elders who teach and preach, and that's why we get paid to do so and are your pastors. What the, the point I'm trying to make here is throughout 1 Timothy and the pastoral epistles, when it talks about teaching and preaching, it's talking to the pastors. It's talking to the pastors and the elders. Okay, so that's what I believe the restriction is. A woman can do anything in the church to be an elder or the preacher. Why? 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 Well, let's have a look at verse 13 to 14, which explains for us why. Let me read out to you again to be on the screen says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Became a sinner. Let's stop there. Once again, what's this verse not saying? What is this verse saying? Firstly, what's this verse not saying? It's not saying that women are inferior and that all that Eve was inferior because she was created second. That's what he's not saying, okay? In Genesis, in Genesis 1, it says both man and female, man and woman, are created in the image of God and of equal worth and value. In Genesis 2, when the woman is created, she's created as like a climactic part of creation where Adam literally yells out, mine, because he's so happy to see her. The woman is not inferior, neither is she superior to the man in regards to value and worth. That's not what it's saying. Secondly, what it's not saying here is that Adam was guiltless in the garden. Okay, in other parts of the scriptures, it actually hammers to Adam how he did wrong. You see, we might look at this and see it focuses on Eve, but Adam was just as much at fault, if not more, in the garden. Okay, so when that snake came in was a time when Adam should have led, he was created first, he should have kicked that snake out of the garden, but instead he didn't. He was passive, he let that snake talk to his wife, deceive his wife, and then once again, as the apple came to him, instead of kicking that snake and the apple, he took it and he sinned against God, knowing that it was wrong. Adam is just as sinful. That's what it's not saying. Okay, what is it saying? What is it saying? Well, I think in verse 13, the Apostle Paul is reminding us of God's design. And then in verse 14, he's reminding us what happens when God's design is not followed. Okay? So verse 13, what's it reminding us of? It's reminding us of God's design, and it's designed for men and women. Designed for men and women. In Genesis, we went through this in the series in detail. You can look it up online in the sermons. But what we learned is that God created men and women, both equal in value and worth and dignity, but with different roles and responsibilities, in particular in the marriage partnership. And so what we saw is that both men and women are created to complement one another, not to compete against one another. What we saw is that in regards to a marriage relationship, that Adam or the man is to be the leader within that relationship in a loving, um, sacrificial way, and that the woman is to be the helper to Adam or to the male in that situation. And what we saw there to remind you women is that to be a helper is not to be a weak thing or a bad thing. And what we saw in the scriptures is actually the word for um, helper was used as a military term, like reinforcements in a battle. 
and that even God is our helper. So to be a helper is not a weak thing, it's a strong thing, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And so here, the Apostle Paul reminds us of God's design, of God's order. But then also here, in verse 14, he reminds us what happens when that design is not followed. Not followed. You see, what happened at the garden was instead of Adam leading and loving his wife, instead of Adam kicking that snake out of the way and saying to Eve, that is wrong, we shouldn't do that, God told us not to do that, he is passive and he lets Eve take control. Eve then comes and is deceived and then passes the fruit to Adam and chaos ensues. Chaos ensues. It's remind us of God's design for relationships. Now, let me once again, though, say, what, why, why is the Apostle Paul saying this here, though? I know some people will say what these verses are referring to is actually a specific context, a specific church of Ephesus. And so this verse, that I do not permit a woman to teach or have a shim authority, it's not relevant to us today. It was relevant to only that context, that society, because the women in that day, they were uneducated, they were sinful, um, and, and they, what they were teaching was wrong. If that's the case, the Apostle Paul would have said that his reasoning would be because the women are uneducated and ungodly, and need to be educated and more godly before they teach. But instead he goes back to des- design of creation. And I think to me, that, that's, a, that's him saying this is actually the way God's designed life to be. This isn't a specific cultural problem. Now, in regards to that, maybe some of you are thinking, Joel, I know you're saying, okay, that men and women were created equal, but have got different roles and responsibility, but in my eyes, you're being inconsistent you see, if this was the workplace, and if you were to say to me that uh, men and women have got the same uh, equality, then they'd have this not only equality in um, value, but then also in function and roles. Now, so I'm clear, the Bible here is speaking to the church context, to the family context, not to the business context. Okay, so women, go dominate the world. Be CEOs, be presidents like Clinton if you want to be. Uh, the Bible doesn't speak into that. There should be equal pay for men and women, 100%, 100%. But here, the Bible is speaking in regards to the church. And in the Bible, when it talks about the church or the family or God himself, it does not equate equality with value with equality of function. Let me explain what I mean. You see, I want you to think about Jesus, for example, right? Like, so we believe that he's the God of the universe. And so his function should have been to be like sitting on a throne as we washed his feet. But instead, he came as a servant and washed ours. And he went to the cross for our sin, Or think of the church, one of the most common metaphors is how it's a body. It's a body where the feet and the hands, even though they they perform different things, are all just as valuable. See, the thing about the church is just because I'm a pastor doesn't make me more valuable to God, more worthy than you. It's the complete opposite. In God's eyes, I'm just as loved, just as valued as you. Just because I'm the mouthpiece doesn't make any difference. And finally, think about the Godhead itself. Think about the Trinity. God the Father, God the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all equally God, but have got different roles and responsibility. That's something to keep in mind. Final thing here, maybe some of you are thinking, Joel, is this because women are not capable? Is this because women are not capable? Is this what it's trying to say? No. No. Statistically, women are more likely to go to church. Statistically, women are more likely to study their Bibles. Statistically, women are more likely to be better communicators than men. Statistically, women are more likely to be able to be empathetic with people and love people better than men. Like, like can I be honest with you? So my wife, she's not here tonight, so I can say this. Um, 
<laughs> I wanted to say something nice about her, by the way. Um, but she was at Bible college the same time as me. And I, I, I'm going to be frank with you. She smashed me in regards to marks as we were studying the Bible together. And like my wife, Emma, she's a godly woman and she's a great communicator. And she is way more nicer than me. Like she's way more empathetic than I am. And so it's not about capabilities at all. It's about God's design and the fact that God wants a Joel Deacon to be here and to be your pastor, not Emma Deacon. Not because Joel is better than Emma, not at all, but because, Joel, because God wants to work through Joel and the weaknesses that he has. He's quick speaking. He's um, bad spelling. God wants to use those weaknesses to bring glory to him and his people. You see, it's about God's design, how God wants his people to flourish and trust in him. And the thing is, is, God is a consistent God. You see, in 1 Timothy in particular, it talks about the household. And it talks about the household of God as a metaphor for the church. And it talks about the family household. And I believe God is a consistent God. And so if he teaches throughout the rest of the Bible that in a marriage and in a household, the man is to be the leader and the woman is to help him, then it makes sense as well that in the church, that the, the elders are to be men as well, rather than women. But God is a consistent God as well. The final thing I want to say is if you're new to church tonight and you're like, Joel, this is so offensive or like I disagree with it, can I say that's okay? Like, please don't throw something at me. But also, can I ask you, can I just, what I want to say to you is that this is a difficult verse and Christians disagree on what it means. But as, you're, as a pastor here, I want to teach you what I believe the Bible is saying and I want to live my life out with what it's saying. And also that's what our church believes. And so I just want to say that to keep that in mind, uh, I, like, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I know that. There's smart people who disagree with me on this. Um, but I believe this is what the Word of God says. Now, before we move on to verse 15, very practically, women, you could be discouraged by this. What I want to say is you shouldn't be. We want you to serve in our church. We want you to do anything but preach and be the elders. That's why we have women service leading. That's why we have women in the 6 p.m. planning team. We want you to be ferociously use your gifts to the glory of God and the good of His people. Let's go to verse 15. I've got about 10 seconds to explain this. It's just as easy of a verse. Uh, let me read it out to you. It says this, But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with proprietary. Okay, what is it not saying? What it's not saying is you need to have kids to be saved. Okay? Some of you are like, whew. Okay, it's not saying that. All right, 100%. I know that much. What is it saying? Look, there's two main interpretations. First one, which I, I don't think is necessarily correct, but I'll tell you because some people do, is that what it's saying here is, but women will be saved through childbearing, specifically through Jesus. Jesus was born. Here's how women are saved. What I think it actually is saying here is that motherhood is a gift for godliness. That motherhood is a gift for godliness. You see, when it says here, but women will be saved through childbearing, later on in 1 Timothy 4.16, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, to persevere in his teaching, because if you do so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And so that the way the word saved has been used in 1 Timothy is not just in regards to salvation by faith alone, but also in regards to how you're saved by persevering in your faith. You see, what I think Paul is saying to Timothy is to remind the women that motherhood is a gift from God and it's a gift to grow them in godliness. It's a gift to grow them in godliness. And so in our culture where motherhood is looked down upon as an inconvenience for your career, the Bible says, no, it's a gift. It should be encouraged. It should be something that is valued. Okay? It's important that we understand that you don't have to be an elder, you don't have to be a preacher to be godly. You can be a mum to be grown in godliness. You don't even have to be a mum as well. But I think that's the point of going here. Anyway, running out of time. 
what was the big question at the start? I said, why does Paul say all these things? Why does Paul say all these things? And I, I want to point out to you is that there's a, there's a thread that goes throughout these verses. And the thread is this. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be holy. You see, in verses 1 to 7, what we learn is that God wants to save you from your sin. But here in verses 8 to 15, we're learning that God wants to save you out of your sin as well. That He not only wants you to be saved, but He also wants you to be holy, to know Him and to love Him and to be like Him. He wants the men to have holy hands. He wants the women to have holy attire. He wants all of us to submit under the Word of God, to not be like Adam or Eve, the sinners, but to be more like Christ. He wants holiness. And if you're thinking, Joel, how do I do this? This is pretty difficult. This is not easy. It's simple. This is what I'll end on. When it comes to being saved and when it comes to growing in your holiness, it's focusing your eyes on Jesus. It's fixing your eyes on Him. Because let me tell you, the more you understand how Jesus didn't use His hands to sin, but instead to love and for holy reasons, He used His hands to be crucified at the cross, the easier it will be for you men to think to do that as well. The, easier, the more sorry, you focus and understand how Jesus submitted to the will of God and was silent as He went to the cross, you understand that submission is not necessarily a bad thing, but is a good and godly and Christ-like thing. When you come to understand how Jesus was born a baby and that his mum looked after him and cared for him, you'll come to understand how motherhood is a gift from God that will grow you in godliness. If you want to grow in godliness, it's as simple as focusing on Jesus, Jesus who saves you and Jesus who will make you more like him. Fix your eyes on Christ. It's a message I'll say every week, but in particular for this week, as you leave here thinking about what the Apostle Paul is saying. How about I pray to close? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray so much that we may sit under it. Holy Spirit, you may speak to us and teach us, help us to wrestle with it and apply it. And Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus as we seek to be more like him. We thank you so much for your word and how it is practical. And Lord, we just pray you help us to trust in your design and to have faith in you, not just for salvation, but also to, for holiness and sanctification. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thanks for delivering that message, Joel. I'm um, sure there's a lot to think about. Um, we'll continue in prayer. Uh, if you open up your bulletins, there is a little sheet here on prayer points. Um, I'll do a bit of prayer, and then we'll have time for question and answer. Um, give Joel a bit of time to go through all the questions. Uh, so, yeah, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that your word is God-breathed. The word comes purely from you. Lord, there are many times when we feel offended by what you say, but ultimately it's because we offend you. We are sinful crea creatures, we are sinful creation, and we come to you, uh, those who professed the name of Jesus Christ, we ask for your forgiveness for sinning before, currently, and continually. Lord, we know that you are holy. Lord, we know that you have 
uh, brought a way, a means of salvation for all those who believe. Lord, I pray that as we, we wrestle with this passage, certainly not the first time that some of us has read it, and probably isn't going to be the last time that we'll continue to wrestle with it, and certainly not the only passage that we wrestle with. Lord, I pray that we continue to look to you for guidance. Lord, we know that culture changes, you know the world changes, but you do not. And Lord, as we read through these passages that do make us feel uncomfortable, remind us that you are the one who does not change. Lord, give us the wisdom to, re- to read through these passages. But Lord, also give us the wisdom to know that there are certain things in your word that are crucial for salvation. There are things that are not gives the wisdom to differentiate those two. Above all, as you have, as, the, as Paul has said to Timothy earlier in the book, they've given us these commands, but it's out of love. And I pray that as we wrestle with these passages, that focuses on love. Focuses not only love between our brothers and sisters in Christ, not only between people who believe in you and do not believe in you, most importantly is love between you and each of us individually. Lord, I continue to pray for those in our church who are afflicted with illness. Pray for James and pray for Liam. Lord, you know what they're going through and you know who you've put in their lives to help them through this journey. Lord, I continue to pray that they acknowledge you as the ultimate healer, that you give them peace and tranquility, above all that your name will be praised, whatever the outcome is. And Lord, I also pray for the upcoming events for G4G. Lord, I thank you that we have this opportunity Uh, to listen to your word from people who love your word, who want to preach it faithfully. And Lord, I pray next week that you be with everybody there, uh, that you open up their hearts, that you be with the speaker, that ultimately your name will be praised. Lord, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. This is working? Yep. Uh, I have a lot of questions, um, which is good. It's good. I'm glad I do. Um, but we're running out of time, so I'm going to do my best to answer a few. I'd love to chat to you. If you really want to know the answer tonight, come chat to me. Uh, if not, I'll try and reply to all these text messages throughout the week, um, which maybe might be more helpful. Uh, quick questions in regards to uh, women being deacons. I'll get to that one when we talk about 1 Timothy 3, so you have to hold on that one, um, which we'll get to in a few weeks' time. Um, 
Yeah, this is a good question. He said, in the past that Jenny Salt, that's a, a girl, sorry, not a girl, a woman, godly woman at uh, Bible college taught me how to preach. How do you reconcile that a woman teaching a man how to preach at Bible college is okay, but not to teach at church? Sounds like the swimming instructor isn't allowed in the water, dot, 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 question mark. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was a great question, a great question. Uh, the way I want to answer that one is that I want to make this really clear. Bible college is never in the actual Bible. Like, you, you never see it there. Like, it's actually not there. You look for it, it's not going to be there. And so it's a matter of, of wisdom and your principles as to, okay, how's this going to work, how this going to apply. And so at Bible college, um, I believe that women can teach me the Bible. I believe that women can teach me how to, how to preach, help me how to pastor. I have absolutely no issue with that because it's not church. Uh, so the authority there, she's not my elder, she's not my pastor. She's giving me wisdom and it's for me to take or not to take. Um, so that's in regards to that. Paul's talking here in regards to the church and in regards to the authority that comes um, with preaching in that element. Um, I'm more than happy to talk about that more if you still have questions on that one. Um, some men, though, would apply this and would not, and that's why they wouldn't go to SNBC. I'm more okay with that. Um, a great question here. Why was this passage written in such a way that the meaning is mysterious and open to a lot of misinterpretation? Um, I don't think it would have been mysterious to the, to the day, the context of the time. I think they would have understood what he was talking about. But a majority of the Bible's teaching, like 99% of it, we know what it's saying and we know how to apply it. Um, but there's some times where we've got to wrestle with it and think it through. Uh, and if, if we're honest, this passage is sensitive to our culture. And so it should be. And I understand why it is. And that's why I think there can be different interpretations. Um, this, this is a truth for all of us here. All of us read the Bible with cultural lenses. We've all grown up in some society, in some culture. We've all got some thinking that's influenced us. And I think that can impart how we view it in a good or bad way. Um, uh, um, Another question would say, in light of this passage, would you go so far to say churches with women preachers are sinning and in effect false teachers that need to be stopped, even if they are faithfully preaching the gospel? Um, one thing I want to make clear here is throughout the Bible, what you see is you see like in Judges that God uses Deborah um, to do the work that men should have done, but they didn't step up and there was literally no men around. So then God used a woman and she killed it and showed those men what to do. Um, but that wasn't the norm. Like that wasn't the norm, that was actually against the norm. And it was actually, in particular, judges, you've got to be careful about the judges, they're all a bit strange, um, even Gideon and the ones we love. Um, so in regards to this question, though, uh, in terms of false teachers, um, look, I would, I would, so I'd disagree with their interpretation of this passage. And so I'd think they're not being faithful to what the Bible is teaching. Are they still my Christian brother and sisters? Yes. Do I still love them? Yes. Um, will I call them a false teacher? I don't know if that's the most loving thing I can do, uh, especially if they're not within my church. I'm not going to say that. But as part of my own church um, that I'm a pastor in, then I want to try and be more um, strict and say what is heresy or not. I don't know if I'd say it's heresy, but I'd just say it's going against uh, God's word. If you call that heresy, I don't know. But it's, like, it's different to the heretics here were, who were teaching that the resurrection had already occurred and that the gospel is not true. Um, anyway, that's a tough one. Last tough one, and then I'll let you guys breathe. Um, good one here. Can a woman deliver, pre uh, deliver a preaching sermon in a church as a lay preacher but not be the ordained minister? Is that okay uh, if they're not holding an official position in the church? I guess what the, the logic there is, can a woman preach as long as the pastors are in the room and can tick the approval and say yes or no? Um, I would still say no. Um, 
Because I'd beg the question then, okay, what is the restriction here when it says I do not pin a woman to teach or assume authority? Um, and to be honest with you, potentially in that day, the word teach there could not mean what we think teaching is. John Dixon's written a book on this. Could potentially mean the specific um, uh, just uh, instructions of the Bible before it became as the Bible. Could be that. Yet at the same time, the most authoritative type of teaching in our context is preaching. Is preaching. It's not service leader, it's not the mission spot, it's me getting up here unpacking the Bible and there's an authority with that as my position but also there's an authority not just in my position but like as an elder I have authority because yes I'm a pastor but I also my authority comes from the word of God. If I'm not teaching you the truth and I shouldn't have authority you should tell me to sit down and so it's the same thing in terms of preaching that there's authority that comes with that and that's why I think from what I've explained tonight that's I'd say no. Anyway, like I said, please come chat to me. I'll reply to those text messages um, and keep discussing it. Thanks so much for them.